Straight from the Mayor's Mouth, with Matthew Dickerson from Dubbo Regional Council. Hello everyone and welcome to Straight from the Mayor's Mouth. Hello there, Matt. How are you? Yeah, good, thanks. Actually been a bit wet this week, hasn't it? Been... Isn't it lovely to see a bit of rain? I'm feeling actually like I'm probably in a coastal resort somewhere some days, watching the rain sort of coming off the deck and things like that. It, it is certainly humid, and I did hear a report the other day on the radio that talked about just the average humidity normally for this area is about 40% through right. January. We're seeing it sit more around 80% at the moment. 80%? And it's what, are one we, of those, Cairns? <laughs> it does still like sometimes. It? But it's one yeah. of those things, isn't it, that we know about the long-term, or we understand some of the long-term effects of climate change, Mm. but we are seemingly seeing little snippets of extremes Mm. of climate change at the moment. Mm. And it's interesting that the humidity, and I'm sure it'll drop back down again, but I remember years ago, I used to think evaporative air conditioners were fantastic because I love the idea that you're taking that air from outside, nice fresh air we've got in regional areas, and you bring it inside your home or business and it's getting that nice flow through of air and it's cool. Whereas now many people say evaporative air conditioners, no good because there's too much humidity. So the evaporation component of that doesn't work so well. So you're seeing these small changes and just the impacts of those and Again, with anything that's a long-term change, mm. it's not going to be a perfectly straight line. It's going to be some bumps up and down as mm. that long-term average mm. changes. So it's certainly quite interesting. I'll tell you what, if, uh, if this is a new El Nino effect, I'll take an El Nino any day, though, to be honest. If this is the way it's all going to sort of roll. It was meant to be a very dry summer, wasn't it? that's but what they were talking about. Yeah, no rain, hot way. weather, and it's, it's been hot in patches, and obviously next week's going to be a scorcher from the sound of things, but the rain up until now has been fabulous. Yeah, yeah, it's certainly been a very different scenario. Mm. Yeah. Now, mate, uh, last uh, Sunday, when we were last sort of uh, getting ourselves finishing up with the podcast, you were about to sort of head off down to the riverbanks for the Maca Sankranti Kite Flying Festival. Now, this was all part of uh, a special festival that one of our groups in town, one of our multicultural groups in town, uh, conducted. Now, you took your wife down there for anniversary, so I'm really <laughs> interested to know, and I'm sure a lot of our listeners are really interested to know, uh, the fact is still here. It still survived, obviously, the event, so that's good. And she didn't kill you on that one, so that's great. How did it all go? Well, I've now been married for 29 years and a week, so that's a good sign. <laughs> that's a good sign, indeed. <laughs> so it was actually quite fascinating. Now, I, I must admit, they are negative three kites from my involvement <laughs> in is the event. right? So you managed to bust three kites, <laughs> yeah, did you? I did. I do apologise. Did, did the wife whack them on your head or something, or what happened with <laughs> no, that? No, it was all my fault. I can't. <laughs> well, no, I'm not taking the full blame for the first one. I'll take the blame for the second and the third one. Oh, okay, one. so there's a story. There's a story, You better tell the story. Well, what was nice was that you've got a festival, and we talked mm. about it last week, different groups from around the world live here in Dubbo and call Dubbo home. Yes. Fantastic. And we get to learn about some of those different cultures and some uh, different events that happen around the world. Mm. And this, and I like your pronunciation, the Maka Sankranti Kite Flying Festival is something that typically happens in India and I'm sure Mm. some other countries around India as well where they come out of winter and they've had some shorter days and it's been a bit cold and dark and the idea is to get out and get outside and do something active outside to celebrate the right. coming of spring. Now, yeah, obviously, a nice idea. It is a nice idea. Obviously, here in Australia at the moment, it's not the coming out of winter. <laughs> no, but middle of summer. It's being right. done at the same time, obviously, different hemispheres of the yeah. world, so different seasons. But in general, it just seems like a nice idea 
I can imagine in India it would be a very big thing to say, hey, this Sunday it's the Maka Sankranti Festival, yep. let's get out there and fly a kite. Yep. What I didn't realise as I was flying my first kite and admiring my skills, if you can use oh, the yes, word skills yes, yes, in so kite you're flying. You're quite a connoisseur or expert, are you, in regards to kite flying? Not at all, but I think the wind does most of the work, <laughs> doesn't it? <laughs> but I'm sitting there flying the kite and, and saying this is great and I'm letting it go higher and higher. And the next thing you know, I'm tangled up with another kite and there was a bit of a jostle between the two kites and mine ended up wrapped around a tree. Right. And and I was a bit disappointed in myself and I was a bit apologetic to the other person but then I was told that this is all part of the fun. You have these little battles. So oh, you, you, you go okay. having yes, a, yes. a sword fight, if you like, with some other kites up in the air. Right. So I'm not taking the blame for that one ending up in the tree. Cause so so there I was, was left, a dive-bombing kite attacked your kite from, uh, from <laughs> someone else, was there? There was right, another okay. person there that was just having fun and doing what you do when you're yeah. flying kites. You go and have a battle, which I thought was a bit rude of them, actually. So come, <laughs> come and attack my kite. <laughs> first, that's it. Yeah. The second one, the third one, then as I was getting them up, then they came back down a bit too quickly and the collision with the earth wasn't able to be withstood by oh, the kite. Oh, I see. So, <laughs> so the force of nature took over and destroyed your kite, did That's they? right. A combination of a little bit of gravity and a bit of wind <laughs> threw it down onto the ground. So the second and third ones didn't survive my efforts. But thank you to the organisers for donating three kites to me. <laughs> oh, that's lovely. Isn't that very, very nice? <laughs> it is nice. So, and it looked great. when, As I was driving up, actually, you just yeah. saw a range of So it's a big turn-up? Well, how many would have been there? I would have suggested... Probably at least, I would say close to 100 people. Oh, that's and great. I'm trying to think of the kites in the air. There were at least 30 kites in the air that I could yeah, see at different yeah. points during yeah. the, the morning. And obviously, sometimes there was a, a few people around one kite, for example. Yeah. So, yeah, a good turn up there. But it actually looked quite nice as you were driving up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A range of different kites. And some of them were nice, simple little triangular type kites, like the one that I was mm. flying or attempting mm. to fly. And other ones were bigger kites, dragon type kites, and a range of different shapes. So, yeah. Yeah, again, look, I now know something, and people in Dubbo now know something a bit more about Indian culture, and we're continually learning about that. So yeah. it is quite fascinating and quite a fun day. Oh, it's well done. I'm so pleased to hear, too, that you survived with your wife as well for the anniversary. Yeah, thank you. Now, just a little bit of feedback here uh, in regards to last week we talked about the uh, Ungala Wind Farm. And, of course, the uh, what happened out there last week with um, a number of the dignitaries sort of turning up there uh, on site and setting things up um, and getting things ready to rock and roll out that way. Now, it appears as though there's been a few questions that some listeners and um, some people in the community have, have obviously asked in regards to some of the nature of what's actually happening out there. Um, you look as though you've got some contact details here because I'm, I'm assuming that a lot of the stuff which people will be asking you about personally, Matt, uh, as the Mayor and also as representative of Regional Council, some of the stuff you probably can't answer, but I'd imagine, though, that some of these organisations that are set up out there, uh, like Squadron Energy, etc., uh, these sort of guys can probably answer a lot of these questions. So you've got some details here, have you? Yeah, I have, and I think it's important that people do chase at this information if they want the mm. information. But you're right, Dubbo Regional Council is not the consent authority. We probably don't even get sent all the information. We could probably access it the same as the public can access it, but it goes through a state government planning and consent process. So all the information we submitted through that process. Mm. So people can ask councillors or councils some of this information, but all we're going to do is then go and ask the various proponents yep. about that same information. And rather than going through the regulatory body, i.e. the state government, to ask this information, the proponents, typically for each of the different projects, they've had to gather that information and put that in as part of their submission. So I thought the most logical place to go to would be the actual proponents themselves. And just to give you an idea, some of the questions that I've had, or, or not all coming to me, but some of the questions that have been asked over the last week are, are things like, can you tell me the location of each wind turbine? Mm. And 
I don't know the exact location of each mm. wind turbine. I know the area. I can show someone on yep. the map where it is. And that may well be on their website. It may not. The schedule of all the roadworks, because as we talked about last week, the roadworks have got to be completed before they can actually start the construction because mm. they need to get some of this equipment down these roads. And even people getting to the level of detail of, what trees will be removed yeah, as right. part of the roadworks. Okay. And if people want to know this information, that's all fine. Again, I don't have the information no, off the top of my no. head. But I spoke to Squadron, and I've always been impressed with Squadron. They get back to you quickly. They are responsive to answers, to questions that we ask, responsive with their answers. They're good to deal with in terms of planning agreements. And right. in this one, I just reached out to a couple of the staff and said, I've got some inquiries from the public. Can you give me a public email address and a public mm. phone number mm. that people can contact Squadron and ask some of these questions and get this information. So if you want to send an email with any questions whatsoever, it doesn't matter what you want to ask, ask the question. If they can't answer it, they can't answer it, they'll tell you that, but mm. I'm sure they'll have pretty good answers for just about anything you can think of there. So the email address is info at Farm, and I'll spell that, so yep. U-U-N-G-U-L-A Wind Farm. So info at ungulawindfarm.com.au. Send an email to that and you'll get an answer back in relation to some of those questions. Or right. if you prefer to talk to someone, 0488 mm. Now that will go to different people depending on when you actually ring that number because that number is diverted to different people that are basically either on-site or local engagement people. Yep. So that might change over time, yep. but at least it's a number that you know, you'll know you be able to ring and get hold of someone and have a conversation with them. It's good, though, that actually that they're, they're very forthcoming in regards to uh, providing information for people as well. So this is keeping very open communication channels, which are so important. It is. I think it's important. And I think the thing is that when you're open in that sort of way, obviously it means you're not trying to hide anything. Yeah, absolutely. And you're happy to talk about the information out there and give people the information. Yep. Now, people may not be happy with every answer you give, but... The answer is the answer. Mm. So mm. you need to be open. Any organisation needs to be mm. open with that sort of information mm. and let people deal with the answers in whatever way they want to deal with them. But mm. that information's there. Contact Ungla or, or Squadron Energy technically is the company, but Ungla Wind Farm is a project. Yep. Contact them and, and find out what you want to know. And uh, again, I think this is all good for the region, yeah. good for our en entire area in terms of what will happen long term. Absolutely. Hey Matt, this next little one uh, is actually one of the main sort of points of discussion I have with you today. Now, I would suggest that, that regularly uh, the WA Regional City Council gets tourism market reports and gets an update in regards to how um, you know we're travelling in regards to the figures here between our uh, some of our major tourism attractions and also maybe our accommodation and eateries and all these type of things and sort of getting a general feel as to how many people are coming into our region. Do you have the recent uh, December update in regards to this, and in regards to what's actually happening across the board from a tourism perspective? Yeah, funnily enough, I do. Thank you for asking the question. That's all right. Well thought. The different data we get, we get this each month in terms of the different facilities that we have. And so I'll run through some of these. And mm. there's some little surprises in there in my mind at the moment. And it'd be interesting to see what your thoughts are as well in terms of where we're getting some of these figures from and why mm. they're going the way they're going. The first one if we can start with his accommodation. Now, accommodation is probably a good one to start with because if people are going to various facilities in your community, then they've got to stay somewhere. Mm. Visiting friends and relatives, the VFR market is a big part of our market. It's typically over 30%. So that's when people come and stay at your place. But accommodation is still pretty important. And we rate the accommodation, for example, in Dubbo on percentages. So right. of all the beds that are available what percentage of those beds are taken up. Mm. And so to give you an idea of that, if I look at 
the last few months of 2023, you've got figures, if I go back to say, uh, if I look, maybe it's looking down the list here, say July, 85.1% accommodation. So that's okay. pretty well booked out. Yeah. A lot of accommodation providers tell me that if you're getting over 60% booking, if you if I own a motel, mm. if I'm averaging over 60%, then I haven't got enough capacity. Right. Because if you're averaging over 60%, that means there are many nights you're booked out because mm. obviously it's not necessarily an, an even spread of booking. So 85.1%, pretty high. Mm. September, and we typically find the September school holidays and the school holidays that are typically around the beginning of the year, the yep. after first term, going to second term, yep. those that are the Easter two break busy- sort of period. Yeah, and I was going to yep. say Easter break, but as we know, Easter mm, jumps around so much sometimes. Right, yes. But those two holiday periods are typically the busiest for Dubbo. Mm. It's just the perfect weather, a perfect oh, combination. Say, that's right. It's a beautiful time. And so to give you an idea, in September 2023, 89.1% was our combination. Yeah, right, okay. So obviously fantastic. Now, if we look at December, it was 65%. Yeah, right. And that's a, a bit down. Is and that down I, on previous years? Or? Well, that's what I started thinking of. Well, maybe it's just December. There's not as many businesses that are coming through, so they mm. do type some rooms. But then I looked at the last few years, 2022, 2021, 2020, was 78.7, 77.8, and 78.2. So they so, were in the COVID years, those earlier ones? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, so okay. all three of those, 20 and 21, were definitely in COVID times with a lot of restrictions, say, mm. for overseas travel. 2022, you're probably getting towards the back end of COVID there. But people were discovering regional areas, mm. without a doubt, mm. in that time frame because they couldn't travel out of the state sometimes. They couldn't mm. travel overseas. So a lot of people chose to travel within the state, which mm. was fantastic for regional tourism. So I look at that and I say, well, it did drop down in December 2023, but those last three, so maybe that's unfair. And normally... I look at these figures and I like to go back to 2019. I don't have those figures in mm. front of me because that gives you a real indication of how things are travelling. But then I take your point that maybe that was COVID times, but then mm. I look back at November 23, 78%, October 81%, September I mentioned 89.1%, mm. August 708 So even though you might think those previous Decembers were COVID-related, then we look at last year and they all seem to be a bit stronger. Mm. So December did seem to be a little bit weaker. Now, again, I don't have any data to back yeah. it up. I hear people talk about cost of living pressures. Yes. Maybe it got to the point where people didn't travel as much. Maybe the fact that people could travel overseas mm. meant that lots of people out of metro areas did travel overseas and didn't mm. come to regional areas. It's hard to know exactly why. Well, I suppose the question would be, uh, like, it, it, what other centres would you regard as being a like-type centre to our region? Would you say Wagga, Albury, those type of ideas, you know, maybe Orange Bathurst, uh, Tamworth? Uh, is, are they a typical type of centre operation? Because I suppose the reason why I ask that question is, what would their figures like? And I suppose I don't, you yeah, probably don't have them right now, but would it be worthwhile sort of checking out and sort of seeing is this just us? Are, are we down on our figures across, or is it across all of regional? And one of the things that we often do do is we look at the Evo cities, cities. So this mm. is the cities that used to be together in a marketing campaign, and you've mentioned most of them there. Oh, okay, down yeah. south, Wagga and Albury in the middle. Orange, Bathurst, Dubbo, and then up north, you've got Tenworth and Armadale. Mm. So we do often compare figures amongst those group of cities mm. to see whether they've been impacted. As you know, we're now a member of Regional Cities New South Wales, which has got 15 cities, and that includes those cities I've just mentioned, plus some other ones, Griffith, for example, inland, and some coastal ones. Mm. But that gives you a bit of an idea as well when you compare some of those. It might be a valid bit of information to talk about at our next Regional Cities mm. meeting to see mm. how some of those yeah, cities absolutely. are faring. 
I then want to break down a little bit further and look at some of the individual facilities in Dubbo from yeah. a tourism perspective. Because, again, accommodation is one thing, mm. but as I said, that obviously is probably indicative of other centres. So, so it would be safe to assume before – sorry, before you start there – would it be safe to assume that these figures across the board are probably going to be down because our general numbers are down across the board to start off with? Well, it, it, you would think logically that would make mm. sense. If accommodation is down, yeah. then probably the places that people are visiting are mm. down a little bit. Mm. And that does seem to be the case in most cases. A couple of examples that are a bit different, but I'll, I'll run through a couple. So if we look at the Visitor Information Centre here in Dubbo, and I'll just look at December figures yeah. over those last four years – and I've got a graph here in front of me, and so I can't tell you the exact numbers, but I'm reading off the graph. So, for example, if I go back four years ago, 2020, then that was 6,000 people went through our visit information centre. 21 dropped down to about 4,000. 2022 was up to about 7,500. Right. 2023 dropped down to about 5,500. Uh, sorry, about 3,500 reading off the graph there. Yeah, right, okay. So the last four years, December 2023 was the lowest number there. Yeah. Now, I think there might be something else playing into that figure. Mm. It may well be that people research online mm. where they're going to go more so than physically going into yep. a visit information centre. Yep. Makes sense. We still get a fair few. Again, at, at say 3,500 over December, that's still 100 people a day mm. that are going into the visit information centre. Mm. So you think, well, that's not too bad in terms of visitors there, but I think more and more people will be visiting that information online yep. or looking at things before they travel out. Yeah. If you look at the Wellington Visitor Information Centre, similar in terms of a drop, but the last two years have been very similar. So if I go back four years, it was up around, say, 900. Then I look down at the following year, it's down around 750. And then 2022 and 2023 were both around 500. Okay. So again, a drop, yep. but I can still see that same logic there where people might research it before you come. Mm. Then we look at some individual facilities themselves. So Old Dubbo Jail, that's seen a bit of a drop down again in the last four years. I look at that, maybe 5,000 we saw in 2020. That dropped down to under 4,000, 2021. Then 2022, it was just under 4,000. And then last year, it was probably, looking at this graph, maybe around 3,600. Mm, so okay. it's been just below 4,000 the last three years. Yep. It's remained pretty steady, I suppose. Yeah, but still the Not lowest really of the four though, years no. No, is, is last year. Now, the Western Plains Cultural Centre is our star. Is that right? It's certainly been very strong over those same years again. 7,000 dropped down the next year to about 5,000, then jumped up to 8,000. And last year, it was pretty close to 9,000. Wow. So that's certainly been one that's so been So was strong. there something on particularly that, that drew a larger crowd there to the Western Plains Cultural Centre? Well, it definitely drew a large crowd in the middle of the year with the Archibald exhibition yeah, on, but yeah. that Archibald exhibition was gone by December. Yep. I think people are enjoying the cafe there at the yeah, moment, so they're yeah. visiting for that. The air-conditioned environment, maybe, too. It was, <laughs> maybe. Hot, it was pretty hot during December. Yeah, yeah. true. Uh, there's obviously some different exhibitions that are there, mm. so whether some capture the imagination. I know when mm -hmm. my daughter came home from university, she went and had lunch with one of her friends, one of her Dubbo friends right. while she was home, and they went and visited the cultural so centre. Maybe, is it, do they have a breakdown on local as opposed to visitor base that's where it come in? Or? It's not recorded because okay. you can just walk in there. Yeah, yeah. But I was a bit surprised when my daughter said, oh, we went and visited the cultural centre. I thought, mm. well, that's wonderful. What was the idea behind that? And they said, oh, it's a nice place to go. And we want to mm -hmm. see the new exhibition. So I think people are learning that it's a nice so place to go. Maybe more locals are maybe attending it. It, it could well be, be as yeah. well. It could be that locals are, are liking the cafe and they're yeah. looking around when they're there. Well, that is a shining star moment right there. It is. Yeah. Wellington Caves 
looks good at first thought, but then, or at first glance, but then there's a reason behind that. If we look at those figures there, 3,000 dropped down to just over 2,000, dropped right down to 1,000, and then back up over 2,000 last year. So you think, great, it doubled its figures. Wasn't there some issue, though, with the caves there going back about two years ago? Yeah, there was an issue there where... Part of the caves were closed, okay. so you couldn't see all of the caves there. So that one looks good at first, but there is a bit mm. of a story behind that. Yep. And then we go to the Tronga Western Plains Zoo. Again, mm. this is our staff at Absolutely. Dubbo. This is the big one. It is the big one, and so much of our economic activity in Dubbo relies on visitation through the zoo. And we do, I often talk about that, 300,000 visitors a year, mm. come to the zoo all year, every year it's pumping people through our economy. Fantastic. Mm. Dubbo would be dramatically different without the zoo. There's mm. no doubt about that in my mind. And when I look at the figures there, if I go back again, that same time frame, 28,000 in December from four years ago, just below 28,000 the year before that, uh, sorry, the year after that, the year after 26,000. Then last year, it dropped down to 20,000. That's a big drop. Yeah, it is a big drop. a significant drop. drop. Now, even if you only average 20,000 a year, Mm. that's still 240,000 visitors a year. But again, if I look at somewhere like April, April still had 36,000 people last year. So Mm. it's still got good, strong numbers. That does seem a little bit of a blip there Mm. for that visitation. So I'm I'm hoping there was something a bit strange about December. Mm. I I can't tell exactly. Well, I suppose, you know, trying to sit here now thinking back to December itself, and uh, it was a hot month. There was definitely that. There was definitely sort of the the heat factor. I think, as you pointed out earlier, the cost of living, I think that's that's definitely a factor for a lot of people um, coming through. But from a council perspective, is this something now, though, that council will look at and think, okay, do we have to increase our marketing focus? Is this a, you know, is we don't want this to become a trend, obviously. We, we want this to kick back up again and go back in the right direction. But to move back in the right direction, does this need a new refocus or a new marketing option? Or, you know, what are you thinking? Well, the first thing I'd think of is, is it a trend or is it a blip? Mm. And I suppose when I look back at those figures for accommodation, the, some of the figures I wrote off from last year, then it's still been very strong throughout most of last year. Mm. I suppose my logic at this stage, if this was my business and I looked at those figures, I'd certainly be asking some questions of our staff and just trying to find out what was happening there. But I'd also probably say, was it a one-off? Mm. Is it desperate do we need to go and change things dramatically or is there one off we won't really know that until we get the january figures through Mm. so personally i would probably say let's just hold off before taking any drastic action and see what the figures are like for january maybe even february maybe one or two months now you don't want to leave it too long Mm. and then you haven't been able to arrest the trend if it Mm. is a trend Mm. but you want to make sure it's a trend not a blip before you start Mm. that and that's a fine line so at this stage I don't see council taking any drastic action as a direct result of these figures, but it's something that you just keep in mind and keep mm. an eye on and just watch out for those. Does council look at these sort of things and do they sit as a committee or, or an organisation, as a group that sits and actually thinks, okay, well, let's have a look at this and, and decide if we do need to change our, our approach? It's probably something that's done holistically across different areas of council rather than a specific focus. Mm. There's no committee that sits down and says, let's review tourism figures for last month. Mm. 
councillors and senior staff are sent these figures every month so you can look at that so that if something does need to be brought up or someone does think there's a definite need that we've got to change things, mm. then they can bring that forward and, and make some changes mm. there. Our economic development team sees this, so they would obviously be looking at it as well, saying how does it affect the rest of Dubbo. Mm. So there are lots of different parts of council that are looking at it, but there's not a specific committee dedicated okay. to just these figures. Yeah. Uh, the last figure I'll hit you with is the Royal Flying Doctor Service, the okay, Visitor yes, Experience yes. Centre. So this isn't about going out and rescuing people. Or no, going this out is the actual centre itself, yeah. This is the Visitor Experience Centre. And again, if I run through those figures there, keep in mind that I think this only opened at the end of 2019, so what a terrible time mm, to open yeah, that's a right. new tourism experience yeah. and then have COVID hit you afterwards. But I, I think it's been very successful so far. And if I look at figures here, again, the same time frame, four years ago, 3,000, just a touch over 3,000 next year, uh, down to about 2,800, and then last year down to about 2,500. Okay. So it has dropped a little bit as well, but not Sort of in line, though, isn't it, with everyone else as well? Yeah. You know? And th- these are quality tourism attractions, too. These are some of the best in the world, to be honest. Well, they are absolutely fantastic tourism mm. attractions. And Dubbo does certainly rely on tourism for a lot of our economy, but we also rely on lots of business dealing. So lots of people that come through, sales reps that come and base themselves in Dubbo and then go out further west, people that are coming to Dubbo for mini conferences, we often talk about those sort of things, mm. events and a whole range of things. So Dubbo is that real central hub and, and shopping is a, a big part of it as well. Mm. People from around the region come to Dubbo. So tourism isn't the only string to our bow, but mm. it's certainly an important part of it. So we keep an eye on those figures. Yeah. It's good for the community to know about those figures and just be aware of it. And again, if they need some action taking yeah. taken, then that's something that we'll have well, to look I, at I think separately. we might sort of follow this up maybe uh, once we get the January figures through. We'll, we'll see if there's uh, the, that trend sort of is continuing or see where we're sitting anyway. Yeah, spot on. Mm. Now, speaking of regional development, um, it looks as though that uh, here during the week, uh, you chaired a a working group with the Regional Cities New South Wales to discuss a submission here, I'm assuming, to the state government. Um, Now, the submission, I'm wondering, is this in regards to, it looks like, $350 million uh, to the organisation and and how this is going to be spent? Is Is that part of the plan of this submission? Yeah, that's part of it. In the budget last year, the state government announced an initial investment of $350 million into a trust. Right. And that trust is used for regional development. But a part of this is all about the Regional Development Act 2004, which was an act that was introduced to Parliament, obviously, mm-hmm. in 2004. Yeah, there we go. And the review, they're doing a, a major review of that to see if this is the best way to deliver funds out to regional areas. What changes so do we Is this recommend? a yearly figure of $350 million? Well, we have no idea. Okay, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> <part of laughs> the long story short, we don't really know. There no. it is, yeah. Well, the government might know. I yeah. don't know. Yeah, right. And okay. this is part of the process. And, and so there's a number of different submissions that will go in. Mm. They are out there at the moment saying get submissions in by the end of January because they want to get to the stage where they make any changes and implement this new revised act mm. by June this year, which is a very short time frame mm. when you're talking mm. about an act of parliament. So they're compressing that, and so it's important that we get so in and have these discussions. So when you say submissions, uh, are you talking here about this organisation as a group putting uh, group submissions in, or are you talking about individual councils? We certainly, at Dubbo Regional Council, will put a submission in. Right. Regional cities, New South Wales, will also put a submission in on behalf of the, the 15 member councils. Yeah. And everyone is open to put submissions in. So individuals can put submissions in, different organisations, different government bodies, mm. all sorts of different people and organisations can mm. put submissions in. What we discussed when we had our working party meeting during the week was interesting because 
we had more questions than answers, mm. and that makes sense because it is something that they're trying to go through and do those changes. The three hundred fifty million dollars is a perfect example. One of the members of the our working group said that they attended a roundtable that was held in Orange recently, and they said to that roundtable, "That's good. Three fifty million is that enough for you to invest on an annual basis?" And they got a very quick response to say, "Hold on, no one said anything about annual." Mm. What's the time frame then? And there was no answer given to that. Mm. I actually had a meeting separately with the Department of Regional New South Wales last year, which was just uh, myself and three members from the department just to right. talk about this particular act and, and the trust fund and the makeup of the membership of the trust fund, the committee members of that and how these decisions would be made. And it seemed clear to me that they had some part of their direction, but there were certainly a lot of questions yet to be answered. Mm. So if you thought about $350 million dollars, and you thought about regional New South Wales, there's 128 councils in yeah, New South Wales in total. Yeah, that spreads thin. Like, like, are we talking here about uh, projects that are initiated by, by the councils, or are we talking about projects that potentially should always be funded by state government anyway? Like, Are we talking about uh, the building of hospitals out of this money, or what are we talking about? Yeah, and that's. I'll come to that in a moment. Okay. Let me just go back one step. Yep. Uh, regional, there's people define regional councils in different ways. Mm. You might say there's about 93 would be probably the figure that I would use for the number of regional councils, but round numbers to make it easy for my calculation top of my mm. head. Yep. Let's say there are 100 regional councils out of 128. $350 million is only $3.5 million, mm. which isn't a lot. Mm. One of the things that we discussed at the working party was when you talk about this funding, is it designed to replace other funding, in which mm. case $350 million goes nowhere. That's right. What well, we that's really only about one and a half percent of our budget. Well, it's it's not is much, it? is it? It's not much at all. So what what you really are keen to do in terms of this whole process is to look at it using other funds that are in other budgets. So, for example, the hospital as yeah, an example. Yeah. We identify some way in a regional area that you need a hospital, and there's certain things that need to be done. But then that should come out of the health budget, not yep. out of this budget. Yep. So that's an important part. What we discussed was we need some clear criteria mm. on what this money should be or mm. could be used for. One of the things that certainly I've seen in the past, which has been very frustrating for councils, has been when you've got criteria, here's the way this money can be used and here's the black and white setting concrete criteria. Mm. And so you make applications based on that and you you might not put other applications based on that yep. same criteria. And then when you see the different organisations or councils that might get that money, you say, hold on, it was very clearly stated that it couldn't be used for A, B, and C, but mm. look at these councils, they got it for that. Oh, well, they put a submission in, we considered that, so we gave it to them. Mm. Well, why would they even put a submission in if it didn't match the criteria yep. in the yep. first place? So that was something that we'll certainly have as part so, of that submission. So this $350 million, there's, there's no criteria that's associated with the submissions? or uh, No, for the submissions, we can do, well, at the moment, the submissions are about the act yeah. and about how that money will be spent. So there's no criteria on that. What will come out of all of this will be a new Regional Development Act, which I suspect will say, here is the group of criterion that will be used for the different projects that might be used. And, and what we talked about at our working yeah. group was it's really important to make sure that it's used for something extra. Yeah. We don't want it to be using, used for something that's normal council business, yeah, yeah. normal run-of-the-mill business. And in fact, I'd be hesitant to use it for anything that was even things that we should be doing ourselves. So yeah. a new swimming pool, mm. well, don't use it for that because that should be something you're funding out of your own mm. operations. Mm. A new road or the things that the hospital, that the government might do, like a hospital, for example. Mm. So it needs to be extra. It needs to be adding on to what you've got there at the yeah. moment. Yeah. And we certainly talked about the fact that in our submission, this is regional cities, New South Wales, we'll be talking about you want it 
to be used for things that are going to drive further economic activity. Mm. So, for example, do we use it to promote a new tourism offering that's mm. going to bring people to our community, which will generate more activity? Mm. We don't want to be used for something, again, this would be me only, not official opinion here, but my personal opinion would be if you use it for a pool, the pool costs you money to run. Mm. So that really doesn't drive good economic activity to your community. Mm. It's probably something that takes away money from your activity or from your community. One thing that I'd love to see, there are certain payroll tax exemptions that have been floated or sometimes even brought in or discussed over many, many years. And one of the things that I would be keen to see in in a submission from both council and from regional cities would be to say, if you gave a payroll tax exemption for all businesses in regional areas Mm. and use the $350 million to pay back the government the money that it loses from payroll tax exemptions, Mm. then suddenly you would get a huge, uh, I suppose, incentive Mm. for businesses in metropolitan areas to move to those regional locations. Yeah, right. Because payroll tax for regional businesses sometimes doesn't apply because you've got to have over a certain payroll figure. Many small regional businesses don't have over that payroll figure, so they're not paying payroll tax. But in Sydney, they might be employing enough people that they're over that level, and that might be enough of an incentive for them to say, let's move out to a regional area. Mm. Now, Mm. I I can't tell you how much of an impact that would have on the budget of New South Wales. I don't have all that data in front of me, obviously. But $350 million, I would be very surprised if that would soak up anywhere near that amount of money in the payroll tax exemptions, yep. but it would mean a lot for those regional communities. Absolutely. You take a business from Sydney that might employ 50 people yep. and you move that to a regional location, what it does to that regional location is huge. It's a huge difference mm. in that local community. Mm. What it does for Sydney is it makes no difference. Yep. It's such an infinitesimal amount in terms of the employment of people in Sydney that you don't even notice that business is gone, mm. but in a regional area, that makes a big difference. Yep. So it's something – have a look at it. Go online. Go and search for the Regional Development yep. Act. There's a, a document there. It's about a 20-page document that talks about the Act and talks about some of the processes in place, and they welcome submissions for it. So we'll be putting a submission in, but – I, I suppose one of the big things is what it's going to end up looking like in terms of how you apply for some of that money and how much money it is. If it's $350 million for the term of government, mm. then it's probably like not it's, even worth it. Yeah, that's exactly right. Like we're talking here, realistically, it's a fairly small figure. If you're talking about 100 uh, different council groups to sort of to jump into this pot on. Yeah. Um, is this something, though, too, in regards to that, is this the first time this ever come forward, like uh, this type of a figure? Or is it something that's generally offered every year? Well, I, the, I have concerns about whenever state government or federal government suddenly sort of throw a, a figure in here, like $350 million, and this is for, for regional development or whatever. Um when there are all these other areas which we're applying for submissions for developments anyway, I'm just hoping that they're not looking at this as saying, well, well, there's your, there's your pool of money. We, we've asked you to sort of sort this out. Um, that, that, that's it for the year. Well, it's probably more complicated than that. The Regional Development Act has been around, as I think, mm, for 20 since years. Since 2004, yeah. And I think the focus for that act has been to make sure that there is a flow of funds going to regional areas. Mm. Now, the trust that they've said we're going to put $350 million into this trust is something a bit different. So it hasn't been used in that same way before, but it's probably fair to say that more money has flown from, as a result of this act, to regional areas in the past than $350 million. And Mm. I don't have that data in front of me, but I'm Mm. pretty certain it would be. Oh, absolutely, I'd suggest. Yeah, that's right. And so it's just a different way of looking at it. Now, see, one of the ways it might be looked at is that you've got – uh, a federal government scheme. It's often referred to as FAGS, Federal Assistance Government Scheme. It's an unfortunate title. It is an unfortunate title. 
but it's often something that's used from the federal government to get money to councils mm. where they just say, based on something around, let's see, the population or land area, here's your allocation, your FAGS allocation. You need to use that to make your council area better. Mm. Now, it's a really laborious process when you've got to go through and put specific grant applications in for every project. It can be expensive to put a grant application in. Some smaller councils that I speak with say they don't even worry about putting in grant applications because they can't afford to, which mm. seems crazy. You want the mm. money, mm. but you've got to be able to afford to put it in. Yeah. So that might be something in the Regional Development Act saying, this money you've got allocated there, don't make us go through, jump through 28 hoops mm. to try and get the money maybe. Why don't you allocate that and just say how it can be used? So, for example, you might say, here's an extra X millions of dollars a year to go into your coffers, not to go straight off the bottom line of your budget, mm. but to be used for something that will make your community better. Here's the criteria and how you can use it, but just take the money and use it. Mm. You don't need to put an application in for each individual project. Mm. That might be one thing that comes out of this mm. review, for example. So... I'm. I, I like the idea of review. I like the idea of having it go through and look at how we're doing it or how they're doing it now, and can they do it better? Mm. I just hope the quantum grows quite significantly. Yeah, I'm with you. Now, sort of go back a little bit um, in regards to a decision that was made by council here to support the Conservatorium of Music. This is going back around about. I think about April, March, April or so last year. Now, the decision was made there at the time that, that council uh, was going to assist the conservatorium in moving because the conservatorium at the time uh, uh, had made um, the announcement that they're going to be booted out of their current um, space or what was their current uh, premise at the time. And uh, they asked for council assistance and council granted it. Where are we up to with this? Have the Conservatory and Music, have they moved to the new premises? Or are they still on their old premises? Well, I have a feeling they're still on their old premises, aren't they? They are. And it's interesting, not only have they not moved, we haven't actually had a lease signed by them at this stage. Oh, right. And it's a, a fascinating development, and I don't know the final answer to it yet. I suppose I've had a few questions from the community about the old carpet building, mm. 139 Darling yep. Street, just yep. next to the theatre. And a few people have said, well, hold on. The conservatorium are going there. What's happening there? So I thought it would be worthwhile giving people mm. an update on that. As you said, it was last April that council finally resolved. There was a bit of a debate that went on for a couple of months, and council finally resolved to lease the building at 139 Darling Street, which council owns, mm. to lease that to them for a peppercorn lease for a five-year period and then have a review after that five years and then another mm. five-year option. So this came back in April last year, wasn't it? Correct, April 2023. Yeah. So they effectively had that for 10 years, secured at least the first five years with a peppercorn lease. Mm. And then it was their job to fit it out, to set it up. That wasn't something that council was going to yeah. pay for. But correct me if I'm wrong, there was a fair bit of urgency about this at the time, wasn't there? <clears throat> Absolutely right, because the Department of Education had told the Conservatorium of Music that they had to move out. They were given certain timeframes, but definitely by the end of 2023 was one of the dates I'm sure it was given to us by the Conservatorium yeah. to say that they were, they'd been given a stay of execution for about six months, but by the end of the year, that was it. They were definitely gone. And mm. we, as council, didn't want to lose this important facility mm. from our community, having children able to learn musical instruments and having them done at a high quality like the Conservatorium of Music was very important. So council made the decision. And we, because we were giving a building that had a commercial value of maybe $70,000 a year. I can't remember what the mm. exact value was, but a significant commercial value. That was then effectively seen as a 
annual grant mm. to the Conservatorium of Music yep. Yep. by the, the council. So the lease negotiation started off just to get a few things tied up around that lease, and that dragged on a little bit. And again, some people have asked me about it, so I've made some inquiries internally. Mm. The lease hasn't been signed yet. They're still in their building at the right. moment, so the Department of Education hasn't kicked them out yet. Are they going to kick them out, or are they going to stay there now? Well, I don't know the answer to that. Okay. I think the interesting part about this is that when we resolved to lease that to them at a peppercorn rate, we didn't put an end date on when they had to mm. sign that. And you wouldn't think there was any need to do that because you'd say... Well, there was a lot of urgency at the time. You'd expect the fact that it was going to happen pretty quickly anyway. <laughs> That's right. So That'd be you, my assumption at the time. You're going to sign the day after the council meeting. Right. You, yeah. you need to do it urgently to get they started. They seem to want it pretty fast. Because they need to do a fit-out, which obviously can't be done in a day. Yep. So obviously there was that urgency. We didn't even think about putting some sort of end date on it. But we're at the point now, we're getting 10 months down the track or thereabouts, to say, well, you're getting close yeah. to, well, has, call well, it a year if you like, it's not quite. Has, has Conservatorium been in contact with Council in regards to sort of updating them in regards to what's happening? Well, we've certainly had discussions because we've been saying you need to sign the lease because that's what Council yeah. resolved. Our Council staff have to follow Council resolutions. Yep. So even if Council staff said, this is a silly idea, it doesn't matter, they've mm. got to follow Council resolutions at the moment. They're not following a council resolution on a technicality because we said go and lease it to them. They haven't done that yet. Now, again, mm. I'm not being harsh on our staff. No. I know it's not the fault of our staff because the conservatorium haven't actually signed it. Yeah. But here we are, again, I'm, I'm going a bit over the top, but saying getting close towards a year. Yeah. So it may need to come back to council to say, well, that offer, that still stands. We'll, we'll still honour our offer there, but we need to put an end date on it Well, because we can't leave it there forever. That's exactly right, mate, because this is part of the, the, the problem, I suggest, is the fact that this is a council-owned building, which is is financially sitting there earning no money right now. Correct, and um, and that's the responsibility of council now to be basically turning around to have some sort of money being earned out of this building. Well, it's not going to earn money if the conservatorium has it, but if the conservatorium isn't going to take it, then we need to do well, something. They're doing with nothing. It. Yeah, and I I'm not a fan of limbo. Mm. I I like decisions being made. Get all the information you can, gather it, and then make a decision. Just don't leave things. Hanging, it just it's not a good place for anyone, no matter which side no. of a discussion you're on. No. And at the moment, we're sitting in limbo, and we we haven't gotten anywhere in that. So, is, limbo is there scenario. going to be a dis- like is council or the council is going to bring this up at the next meeting, or is this going to be something potentially it might be tabled, or it, it may need to actually come to a, a future council meeting for us to modify that resolution to say we need to have an end date on it. Otherwise, we'll go back and the conservatorium we tried to help you out, it didn't work out. We'll move on and do something yeah, else in the building, yeah, or. Yeah put a bit of urgency under the conservatorium to make them make a decision around what they're going to do. Mm. So there's a quick update for people anyway. Now, speaking of updates, um, if you don't mind, just sort of going through a couple of little updates for us in regards to uh, a few things that are going to be happening, I'm assuming, uh, this year in the process of. Uh, Let's start off with the area around the Duke of Wellington Bridge, the repair work around there. Where are we up to with that? So we've actually submitted a funding application for that. You'll remember right. that that was over $20 million to repair that. Yep. This is the riverbank that's fallen away on the approach to the Duke of Wellington Bridge. So with all of that work there, we'd need to rebuild that riverbank and then secure that to make it safe for the next heavy water flow that comes down the mm. Bell River, which I'm sure it will happen again. So it's $20 million, is it? It was just over that, actually, yeah, right. but okay. in that sort of quantum. Yeah. So we've submitted the application for that one. That's certainly so one that's, that's to state done. government? Uh, that's to state government on that one. Right. And so we'll sit back and wait. And that's a it's a tough one because you're basically fixing up something that was damaged from a, a 
Mm. High rain flow, flooding process. Mm. State government and federal government, when they give money to us, they like to get something that's a benefit for the community, mm. not necessarily fixing up something. And that one there will certainly be a benefit to the community, mm. but it's fixing up something. You like to see things added on and mm. extra facilities for the community. So well, that'll be a the tough one. State government's talking about sort of spreading $350 million between 100 councils, and now we're asking for $20 million to fix up a riverbank. So. Anyway, yeah. but we'll wait and see, as they say. Right. Um, well, Radjuri Cultural Tourism Centre. This is the big one. Um, this is one we're all hoping will come through. Yeah. What's 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 the current so state is, with that one? This is the Growing Regions Fund. So that application timeframe is now closed. We've submitted our application there. So fantastic. Now we're going to sit back and hope and wait. The fed- and this is federal government. This one, the federal okay. government has made it quite clear that they don't want councillors ringing up their local minister saying, hey, how's the application going? Mm. And I remember one meeting, I might have mentioned it previously, one meeting we had with a minister in Canberra, the meeting started off with, now I'm not here to hear about any submissions for grant funds. If anyone brings up any grant funds they're chasing, then I'll get up and leave the meeting. So Is that right? Very okay. clear Put on that, the table straight away. That's right. Very clear mm. that there are processes in place and don't try and subvert that process by coming in here and and please mm. give us some money or, or mm. basically begging the minister to, to yeah, right, take okay. care of us there. So, And that's good. I, I think there should be fair and transparent processes that funding applications go through. So that one there I think is a really strong application. Yeah. It will be fantastic for Dubbo, and I think it will mm. be fantastic for the wider Aboriginal community much more than just Dubbo, yeah, yeah. I would say across the state. Oh, I'd and, say across Australia. And this, even across the nation. This could be a, a national project of interest, I'd yeah, suggest. Yeah, that's right. So we're asking for a big chunk of change on that one. But again, if we can get that one, that will be a, a really good – that'll be almost a $15 million project. It will end up costing mm. council about $2 million, and I'm talking yeah. very round numbers here. Yeah, it'd be fantastic if that gets up and running. Yeah. Uh, and look, and finally, the bridge on Saxa Road um, – now, what's happening here? This has been an ongoing problem for a while now, of course, and I know that there's been uh, a decision has been made, but uh, has the project started or what's happened? So tenders will be considered at our February council meeting. Okay. And there's no council meeting in January, but there's still the tenders come in and they've still got to be assessed, et cetera, mm. anyway, so they wouldn't have gotten to the, any closer than the February council meeting. Yeah. So they'll be considered at the February council meeting. We've got, and then obviously we'll award a tender and that'll start. We have talked about it before saying it's going to be next year before that bridge is up and running. Mm. But we've also got a funding application in for the money for that bridge. We are prepared to pay for it if we have to, mm-hmm. but we're pretty confident that we'll get some funding from uh, an application that we've put in for that one, if not all of it, then most of that, because it's such a, an important regional road. It serves such an important function there. I'd love to be able to say the the renewable projects around that region need that mm. bridge. Mm. Unfortunately, the, the uh, process in terms of the various renewable projects about getting their equipment out to the various projects, it was all done when the causeway was previously in place. So it could all be done with the causeway. The bridge isn't required for them. Or they could go around a longer way as well. I'm sure they'll appreciate it once the bridge is built, though. I'm sure they will, Mm. but I don't think it's a a good enough reason to be able to go and say to them, you need to pay for this bridge Mm. because it's not essential to those Mm. projects again with that original causeway that was there. So Mm. it's one of those things that it would have been nice to be able to go down that path, but we won't. But I'm still hopeful that we'll get the money Mm. from the government for that particular one. So a couple of updates there. And okay. as different projects come along, we'll, we'll keep getting yeah, updates. Well, it sounds quite positive, really, to be honest. Yeah. Now, speaking of feedback, um, community. The the community always likes, sort of, I'd suggest, to, to have an input in regards to uh, how council's travelling and uh, where the money's being spent and is everyone happy and 
Um, so there's an opportunity, it looks like, that's going to be coming up soon uh, for a survey to, uh, I suppose, to get out there and to survey the community um, around, uh, I suppose, how council's going and if the community's happy with the way council's going. Is, is this the way this is going to roll? A, a biannual one, which is, what's that, every two years? You yeah, so it's a, it's a tricky one. It's biannual, not biannual. As opposed to twice a year, this is every two years. That's right. right? Okay, so, yeah. so it's B-I-E-N-N-I-A-L, biannual. And we call it our community need survey. Mm. And these have been going, gee, I'd have to check the records, but maybe 2009, 2008, sometime okay. around there yep, was yep. the first one that I remember seeing of these. What I find fascinating is we ask a lot of questions and the we really appreciate the community being engaged in this process. They might get a random phone call from a company and there's so many scammers now, it's hard mm. to see which ones mm. are legitimate, which yep. ones aren't. But they'll get a, a phone call from someone, there's a whole range of, questions that will be asked. It probably takes, I'm not sure, 15 minutes or so. So it's okay. a reasonably lengthy survey, yep. but it gives us a whole range of information. So one thing that I've often looked at is how people get their news about council. Mm. So I go back to some of those early surveys. It was obviously a lot of newspaper and maybe radio that yep. they received a lot of the information about council. Yep. And the most recent one, they took more about social media, for example. Yeah, well, hopefully now the podcast might be a way of Podcast, that's right. That's it right. was an option last time. Yeah, exactly right. right. So just those sort of things. And then we ask questions about the various functions of council and their interaction with those various functions, mm. whether it be water and sewer, whether it be the the Visitor Information Centre, different functions, different areas of council. Mm. It gives us a really good comprehensive view of council Mm. and tells us, A, how we're going, but B, what we might need to change going forward. So, for example, if people are getting more of their news via social media than the newspapers, Mm. then we should be using social media more than newspapers to Mm. send that information out there. So, things like Mm. that. But it does give us a good chance to sit back and review, which is an important process as well, sit back and review what we're doing, and also a chance for the community to tell us how to do things better, I suppose. Mm. You're always looking for Mm. that feedback and keep improving things. It's almost like it's one of those old ways of doing the old SWOT analysis, isn't it? You know, the strengths and weaknesses, opportunities and threats and stuff like that and get the community's input on it. Exactly right. And you don't always know what you're going to get out of it. Mm. So sometimes you'll ask all the questions and you get the feedback and people can have open-ended answers as well. So you get all that feedback and you go through and read all those. Mm. And one of the things that's important when we talk about surveys, sometimes people will stick a survey up on a website or on a Facebook page I often bang on about this at council. My fellow councillors will, will cringe when they hear me start to talk about this, but I often talk about statistically valid surveys Mm. and when you've got a self-selected survey you have to have an incredibly high number basically everyone Mm. to participate in that survey to make it statistically valid when you have a survey where it's a random selection you can have a much smaller number to get a statistically valid survey Mm. and so in this example I'm going from memory here, but I think we typically only survey about 600 households. Okay. But because they're it's a randomly selected. Households for this region, though, isn't it? It is, but mm-hmm. you might say, well, when you've got a population of 55,000, just getting the opinion of 600, how can that possibly give you anything valid? But because they're randomly chosen, because the mm-hmm. surveys ring up and say, hi, Mr. Random Resident. I want to ask you some questions, can you participate? Mm. Because you're not self-selecting, then you can have a smaller number to give you a valid survey. Now you get, the data comes back from a survey company that will use, that will say, here is information, and you'll get an accuracy level, plus or minus 2%, 5%, whatever it might be, and they've got a mathematical calculation they do on how many people they survey, Mm. what's the total cohort, and then essentially you'll get those sort of variation figures. Mm. When you've got self-selection, though, when people say, oh, I saw a Facebook 
survey and 50% of people said we should do this, that's what we should do. Mm. Well, hold on, how did those people select? And sometimes with a self-selected survey, in mm. particular, a self-selected survey that's already got a bias with the group it might be a membership of, yep. then straight away you get a, a survey result that isn't really valid in my yes. mind. And I saw an example once a few years ago where there was a radio station that did a survey right. where they surveyed who you listen to, what radio station you listen to, and they put that survey on their Facebook page. Right. And surprisingly enough, they won that survey. <laughs> and I looked at that and I said, well, of course you would because you're That's surveying right. yeah, yeah. your people that are exactly. already That's interested right. in your radio station. Who likes station. your page? Well, you pretty much like liking our radio station as well. That's right. Exactly right. Yeah. So you, you really need to focus on getting statistically valid mm. sample data or a survey that comes out and that's why we focus on doing that with mm. a survey company and making sure we get that information mm. so random surveys posting various things on various facebook pages etc or even council we do ask for questions and we do run surveys from time to time mm. i suppose when we do those we're more interested in some of the commentary we get around that mm. rather than councillors going in and saying oh we had that survey on a website and 50 people answered that survey and 40 of them said this, so that's the way we'll go. Mm. Well, again, I wouldn't think that would be a, a good way to make a decision. Mm. Yeah. But I think, as you say, it, it helps towards uh, making those decisions uh, in a broader sense of understanding where everybody's coming from. Well, you get that good feedback. I think that's mm. the important part that's of it. it. So I think we'll start to see, and we'll talk more about it as we get closer, yep. but it'll probably be around the March, maybe April timeframe that those phone calls will start. And then, of course, come probably May, maybe June, it'll come back to a council meeting. And, and the tricky part is, and we've seen this, previously mm. that it used to be done with home phones people would ring home oh, phones yeah, yeah, yeah. but of mm. course many people don't have a home no, phone it's anymore all mobile these so days. they've now got to get different databases where it's got mobiles that mm. they can go and do the surveys with so i'll be interested to see how it all comes out anyway it is it's fascinating yeah now i'm probably starting to move into this age group the university of the third age um now, this is a wonderful operation that's, I don't think, just here in Dublin. I think they're all over the place, these guys. And uh, they they run a fantastic operation out of the Western Plains Cultural Centre. Um, it's a bit like, uh, oh, I'm going to get smacked for this, but it's, it's just like an old person's TAFE university sort of thing, I'd refer to it as, in the sense you can go along there, you can pick your classes to go to, there's guest speakers and guest presentations, you can go along and have a great time and uh, to be educating yourself as an elderly person in the age, and it's probably actually be elderly, I'd imagine, but I think there's a reason why they're referred to as the third age. Um, and they're having an open day that's coming up, so for anyone who's interested, uh, there's an open day for them to attend. Now, Matt, I'll let you go into this more details because I know you've had a little bit to do with this group. Um, tell me about the Open Day and tell me about the University of the Third Age as well. Well, I think you've probably hit it hit the nail on the head. It's a group of people that go along and want to learn more about a range of different things. And I have gone along and I've spoken to them. I've, I've been mm. one of their guest speakers, as you call it, yes. and, and spoken to them. And I'd actually quite enjoy talking to the group. They're keen to keep learning. They've probably got to the stage in their lives where they've now retired. They're not as active in their day-to-day -day lives. Mm. But they want to get their minds active. And mm. if you want to do a course, there are so many different courses you can do. Mm. And they call it a university, but you're not going to come out of it with, with a, degree. a degree. Yes, yes, But yes. you've got things like armchair travel, art history, Australian history, photog photography 
you for beginners, ceramics, climate science is in there, huh? cryptic crosswords. Hey, you can do those better. Gentle exercise, iPhone and iPad tips. I mean, it just I won't go through the yeah, whole list, yeah. but there's a huge list there of different things. But it's a really broad list. Like oh. you've got the, yeah, some hand on sort of hands on stuff like the ceramics through to the more intellectual based ones like understanding your iPhone, which I think I need to attend as well. <laughs> That's right. So they have got an open day, Monday the 29th of January, so just over a week's time. 9.30 a.m. to 1 p.m. at the Western Plains Cultural Centre over in the Gibbs Street building. So yes. the, the path, it's the old classrooms. And I remember I was on council when we made the decision mm. around what we were doing with the Double High building. It was already being bought before I was on council, but mm. we had to make a decision on what we're doing and how we're going to utilise all of it. And I remember at the time, this was the type of thing, we didn't have University of Third Age in particular in our mind, but the mm. type of thing where we wanted those old classrooms to be used for community engagement, for different community groups to be able to utilise those, pay minimal rent on what they were using mm. it for, but mm. really engage the community and make it a much better place to live. Mm. And absolutely, this group does that. And again, when I've been there, you see a group of people sitting in a room, very active, yep. very engaged, and they love all their different projects. And some go along and they're very focused on one part of it or they yes, want to get involved yeah. just in talking to other people. But I, I think something really positive. So if you're interested, I'm sure they would have their arms wide open. Oh, absolutely. And, and invite you to come along. Julie Wilson's the president. I'm sure she's still the president there now. And so go along there on that Monday, the 29th of January, and have a, a talk to people. If you've got any interest in really just being a part of some sort of education process going forward or just talking to some other like-minded individuals. Oh, it's a great idea. Australia Day. Well, it's vastly approaching. It's coming up very, very quickly. And, of course, uh, now the celebrations um, where Wellington's going to be on the 25th of January, the Thursday evening, and Dubbo, of course, is going to be on the Friday morning of the 26th. But I'm not going to go into much detail. I'd prefer for you, Matt, to talk us through in regards to, I suppose, as a rundown on how both events are going to run. So you have, you've said the, the time's right there, 6.30pm on Thursday, the 25th of January is the Wellington Australia Day. So we're not trying to move the date. No. We're just saying it, we're doing it as a twilight event before the Which actual day. Which now fits into the federal government's uh, proclamation of the fact that you can run it over a week, can't you, Correct. from the actual date. Yeah. yeah, that's right. So that's a good event. I think we'll have a normal welcome to country from an Aboriginal person like we would normally have. Great. But we've got three speakers. We'll have Richard Ivey, who's the Deputy Mayor, who'll mm -hmm. speak on behalf of Council. And I do that deliberately. Some people said to me after last year, oh, the Mayor should speak at that. And I'm, I'm quite comfortable. It doesn't have to always be about me. I'm quite yep. comfortable with the Deputy Mayor speaking. It's a Wellington event. He's a Wellington yeah, resident. Absolutely. I think that's fine. I'm there at the event. I'm yeah, yeah. certainly there and handing out some awards, etc. But I'm quite happy for Richard to, to do that and talk on behalf mm. of Council. Mm. You've also got our ambassador, and we'll talk about the ambassador a bit more in a moment. And we've also got an Aboriginal elder just talking about a bit of that 60,000-odd year history yeah, journey lovely. from an Aboriginal perspective. So we've got the three speakers, yep. and then we've got the range of awards. We talked about last week. Those deliberations have occurred already. Yep. There will be some fantastic awards handed out, some very worthy winners there. Yes, absolutely. That's it's always fun to sort of listen to the results and who comes uh, out as being the... The, uh, what's that, the Wellington Citizen of the Year and the uh, Sports Person of the Year and the Cultural Person of the Year and all these type of things. Yeah, so that's a, a really uplifting event, just hearing yeah. about some of the great activities some of those people have undertaken. And last year, I think we probably had several hundred in the audience, but it, it is a fairly uplifting experience. Mm. The ambassador that's been allocated to Wellington, so we don't get any say in this, yep. the Australia Day Council, I think it's called, allocate the ambassadors. So Rhys Muldoon. Ah, oh, Rhys Muldoon. Yeah, that's right. Yes. So some people would know him for some of his recent work, but 
but he's been yep. around a long time. I think it goes right back to say McLeod's daughter. Some yeah, of those he probably does. TV shows from a long oh, he time. He speaks ago. very well. Yeah, It'd be really interesting to listen to. Well, I think he will be, and I think for some people in the audience who know him from some earlier work, even for some recent work, House Husbands, I think mm. with some recent work yep. he did, there'd be some fans absolutely in the audience, mm. and people would love to come and speak to them afterwards. And I find mm. the ambassadors typically they they're chosen for yes. this role because they're at there and they're going to interact with the community quite well. Well, I heard actually Reese Muldoon speak on one of the conversations there, okay. with Richard Feidler, yep. and uh, oh, he's very good. Yeah, he, he's very. He tells a great story, so he would be really worthwhile listening to. Well, I think there'll be more than that as well because people then can come over afterwards and have their photo taken with him or mm. get autographed. Do people still get autographs? I'm not oh, sure. They but might get a photo, get a selfie or something. That's there right, it is. It's yeah. more that nowadays, isn't that's it? it. Uh, but just even have a chat to him, and I think people would love to do that. So that's the Wellington Australia Day event. Sounds good. In Dubbo, we start nice and early because it gets hot, obviously, in January. Yep. So 8 a.m. we start in Victoria Park. Sorry, the Wellington one's in Cameron Park. I'm not sure right, if I mentioned yeah. that. In Dubbo, 8 a.m. on the Friday, on the actual 26th of January, in Victoria Park. So we've got those same components. We've got an Aboriginal speaker. I'll speak on behalf of council in Dubbo. Yep. We'll have our councillors there and we invite former councillors as well to these events so yeah. you often get a few former councillors turning up and being part of it there and then we've got an ambassador as well but the other component that we have in Dubbo is of course a citizenship ceremony mm-hmm. and what a great place to become a new Aussie citizen Absolutely. in front of I would say in Dubbo typically we get 500 people so yeah, that's great. in front of yeah, 500 yeah. people who there who are incredibly excited mm. that you're joining us joining mm us as Aussies, and so it's a really uplifting experience for those people as well. Uh, Our ambassador that we've been allocated this year is Sam Cawthorn. Oh, yes. Now, I didn't know Sam, but you've come across Sam before, haven't you? I have come across Sam. I've met him a number of times, actually. Uh, Again, a fabulous speaker. Now, now Sam's actually a motivational speaker, and he goes around a lot of schools. I've had the pleasure of meeting Sam a couple of times when he's come up to the school I teach at. He's got some really interesting little theories, Sam, and I think people will enjoy his presentation. Uh, one of the I always remember one of the great lines he uh, he talks about to the kids is the fact that you are the sum average of your four closest friends. That's one of his great lines he likes to use, and it's obviously about getting kids to, to really stop and consider and contemplate their friendship groups and their choice of friendships and the impact that that friendship group has. But he's very engaging. Um, he again a great storyteller, just like Reese. And uh, again, I think the audience will be really engaged by what he has to say. Yeah, and I think one of the things that he does do as well is he does some mentoring for younger speakers. Really encourages younger Brilliant. speakers to to be involved in that speaking industry, speaking game. So yeah. I'm sure there'll be some people who'll be interested in talking to him yeah, afterwards yeah. as well. So again, to we've done well this year with our uh, our speakers. I think we've well, done the really ambassadors well. every year they've always got something mm. different to offer, and I. I've never seen a bad, inverted commas, yeah. bad ambassador. Yes, yeah. They've always spoken well. They've always been engaged with the audience. They're always very willing to give up their time to talk to people afterwards. Mm. They might spend a lot of time standing around, staying there, chatting, and, and often they'll try and do something while they're here. They'll go and try and visit the zoo or whatever mm. it might be. But mm. no, I've always found them very good. So I think an exciting two days. And the great part from my perspective being very selfish here is that when we have one as a twilight event and the other in the morning, I get to go to both. both. That's so right. That, that's is. fantastic yeah. as well. Yeah. But make it long if you can. It is mm. really nice to see a big crowd there. And I think people will appreciate it. As you said, those speakers are both mm. good, but I think people will appreciate it. Do you take your own chairs or anything like that? Or is it no, all set we, up? No, we, we put out heaps of chairs there and yep. – 
we try and put out more than we think people are going to come along. Mm. But most people, if you had to stand, if you're young enough to stand, I'm sure you'd stand and let some older person sit down yeah, if they needed yeah, to. Yeah. But normally we've got Have eateries chairs. and things like that? There's usually some food afterwards there. Yep. And so we've got some markets there where you can go along and get some food, buy some food. There might even be uh, a bit of free water, for example, to, yep. to hand out there to make sure people don't get too hot. So mm. there'll be lots of activities there to mm. keep you engaged. But just being there and part of it and just saying, oh, isn't it a wonderful country to be it, part just of? Just celebrating being an Australian. Yeah, exactly right. Now, speaking of uh, celebrating being Australian, um, I've got a feeling that you're probably going to be heading off to the Tamworth Country Music Festival. I think you went up there last year, didn't you? I did. Are you going up this year? I am going up this year. So we've got Australia Day on the Friday, so I'll then jump in the car and sit down and drive up to Brilliant. Tamworth. And it's at the invitation of the Tamworth Mayor. But one of the things that I really like that I think mayors do well together, and I think this has changed over the 20 years that I've been involved in local government, it used to feel very competitive against other mm. cities, in, in mm. particular similar cities, so in Orange or Bathurst, for example. And it used to feel a bit competitive, and you'd almost want to try and be getting one up on them in the mm. early days. And as I progressed in my journey through being on council, I found that we really aren't competing with each other. Mm. If you're competing for anything, you're competing against Metro. Mm. So we should join together. And Evo Cities was a part of a result of that. Mm. And now mm. Regional Cities in New South Wales is certainly a part of that. And so mm. we encourage, I certainly encourage on Regional Cities, to the mayors to invite other mayors along and show off what you've got in your community We've all got great communities. Those regional cities, those 15 cities, are all fantastic cities. Dubbo is obviously the number one of those 15. Of course. But in in general, they've all got something to offer and we can learn from each other. So I talked about it last year. I went down, for example, uh, Jess, the the new mayor of Bathurst. I went down the invitation of Jess to the Bathurst races last year. And again, that's a huge event for Bathurst. So fantastic to go and be a part of that. And then again, this year, I'll go along at the invitation of Russell, the the mayor of Tamworth, to go along and just be a part of that and just look at what they do and how they do it. Yeah. Obviously, Tamworth Country Music Festival is a fantastic event for Tamworth. Yeah. Now, when people in Tamworth see me and they say I come from Dubbo, they go, oh, I wish we had a zoo like you guys have got because mm, mm. you get visitation all through the year. We get visitation for a short yeah. period of time. People in Dubbo say, I wish we had a Tamworth Country Music yeah, Festival. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and yeah. things like the Elvis Festival, which I know uh, I saw you were at oh, last weekend. Mate, I was Viva Las Vegas last weekend. <laughs> you know, absolutely. It was wonderful. And so that's great, again, yeah. for parks, but it's obviously a lot of visitation in a short period of time. But again, you can always learn from these other events. And I know when I was there last year and I walked along the main street and it's all closed off, mm. and I remember sitting down having a coffee with the mayor and said, so how did the community go when the first time council said we're going to shut off the main street and he said yeah we did have some people unhappy about it they thought they'd lose trade they, mm-hmm. they weren't overly impressed there were some shopkeepers who got it saw the big picture other ones mm-hmm. who didn't love the idea but in the end now everyone loves it because yeah. you just get that much foot traffic going down and it's got a real carnival atmosphere about it yeah. i'll go along to the golden guitar awards and watch those and one thing actually i found when i went on last year mm. is i i don't know that I received the memo mm. that said that country music is now soft rock. It's all right, I, okay, I, I, so it's more soft rocky this style, isn't that it? That was okay. my feeling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I sat there in the country music awards and I thought, this music's fantastic. I wouldn't say so you didn't that didn't get I'm, any of that ding, 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 ding. There was one song. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I don't consider myself a country music fan per se, yeah. but I sat back listening to the music that was played during the event and I went, wow. Yeah, soft this rock's is, good. That's right, this is just soft rock and yeah, yeah. Gee, I, I'm pretty impressed with this sort of music, yeah, yeah. so maybe I am a country music that's fan. It. Maybe you are, that's right, exactly. <laughs> but it, it is, it's good to share those ideas. And I'll sit down again and have a, a coffee with Russell and it's good to give him feedback about yeah, how yeah. I see 
Tamworth from outside with the festival, but also just learn how they went through things and how they built it up to be such a huge event. And there's mm. not many people around the nation now that wouldn't, well, certainly in the state, but probably the nation that wouldn't be vaguely aware of Tamworth. If you said Tamworth, they'd say, mm. oh, country music up there. Same as if mm. you say Dubbo. Yep. They say, oh, you've got a zoo there. Yep. And that's fine. As long as people know you for something, I think well, that's you know important. The thing is, this, this is my take on it now, particularly after going down to parks last weekend and going to the Elvis Festival. They all support each other. You know, it's so obvious that they all support each other because they all support country. They all support country, regional regions, you know, this sort of stuff. That's how it works because we're driving back from parks last weekend and and the group that I was with, and our conversation went to Tamworth and said, you know what, we should really go up to Tamworth. How good was parks today? Let's go to Tamworth next weekend. We'll head up there for that because what a wonderful way to get out and sort of tour around and to see things. And that's how it works. And I might be wrong on this, but I have a feeling that the Elvis Festival, the reason they chose that particular date for the Elvis Festival was exactly that, to capture mm. a bit of the momentum from Tamworth and say, yep. well, let's do something as a prelude to Tamworth. Yep. People might be interested in that similar type of event. I know it's a different type of music, but similar type of event. Yep. And then they do that and then they travel on and go up I to Tamworth. I bet you any money, a lot of the grey nomads, and again, I'm going to get sort of smacked for probably saying that again, <laughs> but there was a lot of them there at the Parks Elvis Festival, I can tell you. I bet you they're simply touring around, they're doing parks, they'll probably go out, probably do the zoo here in Dubbo, and they're making their way up to Tamworth. Yeah, you know, they'll just be wandering around heading towards Tamworth. They've chosen this time of the year to get out and about because there's so much happening in regional New South Wales. Yeah, so you're probably spot on. So they do feed off each other, so it doesn't need to be a competition. Mm. It needs to be working yeah, together with each other. supporting each other. Yeah, yeah. So I'm looking forward to that as well. Go and have some fun. We'll, Enjoy that soft rock. <laughs> that's right. We'll chat about that next week maybe or maybe the week after. Yeah, that's right. Well, mate, it's time for the Limerick of the Week. So I ask you every week and I'm going to ask you again. What have you got for us this week? Tough one again this week. I, I think I just need to do a limerick on every topic sometime, but I went this week for the University of the Third Age. Oh, good on you. Maybe because you and I will be there soon doing yeah, something soon. with it. And we're rather than good later, books. I think it's going to be too, I think. That's right. <laughs> maybe you could start to do some English literature instruction. I don't know if they've got anything along... English literature, oh, or I could poetry. Teach a little bit of fine Wilfred Owen, bit of World War Two poetry. That'd be exciting, wouldn't it? It would be actually. I think some of those people would love that. Oh, Absolutely there you go. Love that. There yeah, it is. So, very yeah, generous. Maybe of I'm, you. I'm lining you up for some work there. <laughs> so anyway, I've done the Limerick this week, all about the University of Third Age. Here Wonderful. we go. In the Third Age Uni, they say you learn something new every day, from history to art. Each plays their part in wisdom's rich, enlightening ballet. Mate, well done. Well, I'm sure they're going to very much appreciate that uh, down there with the University of Third Day. So a reminder, of course, to get out there for the Open Day coming up as well. All right, folks, that wraps up again for another Straight from the Mayor's Mouth. Until next week, everyone, take care. Straight from the Mayor's Mouth with Matthew Dickerson from Dubbo Regional Council.